because of the history of slavery and racism, there are stereotypes about black women being sexually available. Latino women, Asian women being sexually available to all and promiscuous. Part of what uh, white evangelical purity culture does, it reiterates white femininity as the highest value. Welcome to Touch Podcast, everybody. This is Nate. And this is Ryan. And today we are continuing a conversation that we had with Dr. Monique Moultrie. She is a professor and an author and has some powerful views of purity culture and how that translates into white churches and black churches differently. Yeah, and so if you haven't listened to last week's episode, you're going to want to listen to that because this is a part two. Our new listeners to the podcast, we I, I want to reiterate that you know we have spent a lot of time talking about how purity culture has disproportionately harmed women, and that women have you know bore the brunt of toxic masculinity. It happens that we are talking about masculinity now in this moment. In the last episode, we heard clips from our interview with Monique a couple years ago, and Nate interviewed me and my reactions to um, our interview with her. This week, I, Ryan, am interviewing Nate about how he's been processing the issues of race and whiteness around the purity movement. I haven't had a chance to reflect on this ever until we started this podcast and the events of the pandemic started to unfold and there was a shooting at a Korean spa on March 2020. Robert Aaron Long admitted to walking into Young's Asian Massage in Cherokee County on March 16, 2021 and opening fire. He killed four people. Investigators say he then drove to Midtown Atlanta where he targeted two spas on Piedmont Road. The first things I heard was that there was a shooting in a Korean spa and this was in the thick of all the other racial tensions that was happening with COVID. My first reaction was, um, oh, I hope this isn't an, an Asian hate mass shooting. Because at that time, you know, things seemed to escalate. But then when, when, it, when they disclosed that the shooter was a man who recently went through an evangelical um, rehabilitation program, that's when I found myself wanting to listen more about about the shooter. In interviews, investigators say Long claimed a sex addiction is what motivated the shooting spree, but there was outrage from across the country when the names and pictures of the victims were released, with many people saying this shooting spree was motivated by race. Yeah, because yeah, the, the thing that struck me at the time was that you said that you related to the shooter because of all the, the sort of purity issues around sex and porn addiction kind of issues that he was dealing with made you like 
relate to him. It may not be expressed as such a dramatic degree, but it comes out in lesser degrees. We may not be shooting other people, but we may be dehumanizing them when we, when we judge them. Organizers say they want to raise awareness about hatred and violence against the Asian American and Pacific Islander community. For those of you who don't know, I am a Filipino American. My parents are both Filipinos, full-blood Filipinos. They came to uh, the United States around the early 70s. I was born in Arkansas. My mom was brought over as a Filipino nurse. Uh, her photo was with 12 other nurses uh, that were that were arriving in Arkansas, and it was such a big deal that it made the local paper. And um, I actually researched that in the archives of, of, of Arkansas. I, I looked up what was the name of the newspaper. There are two newspapers at the time that were, that were competing with one another, so it was just a 50-50 chance. Um, I was able to find the photo and just be reminded of the story of how my parents came from the Philippines as immigrants. But at that time in the country, it really didn't seem very favorable to hold on to your native tongue. They only taught us English because they were afraid if we had any um, accents that it would hinder our, our socializing as kids. Yeah. We didn't learn Tagalog. And yeah, it was all about assimilation. And so they attended a, a, a white Southern Baptist church, Woodland Baptist Church, and that's where they got married. And our experience there was a beautiful one. They embraced us and we assimilated in their culture effortlessly. Like they were so proud. They were, they were, the, they were the Woodland Baptist Church that had a, a group of 50 Filipinos. And whenever we gathered together for potlucks, it was a huge party. So my experience of Christianity and the Bible Belt was a beautiful one as an Asian man. And I never considered anything about feeling racially discriminated at all. And then I started to date. And that's when I started noticing things in retrospect. You know, Monique brought up a really interesting statistics in regards to the dating apps and dating culture, how black women are the lowest um, in the different demographics, the lowest who are chosen when people date. What was not mentioned is that Asian men are are in the bottom with them. So like what you're saying is like black women and Asian men sort of get less likes or picks and find less connections on, on apps like that. So there's like a hierarchy. And so she talks about white beauty being sort of held up as the, you know, the cultural standard. And then it's like a descending order of loveliness. In media, and in pop culture, there was also a certain exclusivity that was happening in the era of beauty culture around the, the mid-90s, early 2000s. Um, we, we can see there's actually a documentary coming out right now on Netflix that's about Abercrombie and Finch. And it, they're talking, I think it's called White Hot. The way the marketing worked is simply, here's what sexy looks like. You know, do whatever you can to afford this if you want to be associated with this. And the, the narrative of the, you know, the white sexy woman and the white sexy man, you know, it simply reflected how movies and, and television were at the time. You know, things just kind of take time to evolve. But as an Asian man, I've discovered there are effects on that with me. 
Just as Dr. Monique was talking about as a woman of color, she felt the effects of her um, in, in purity culture. Just as the Asian woman is hypersexualized and dehumanized, the Asian man is not articulated and hence has no role at all. So we, we want to talk about uh, pornography as well, not as like, hey, you should look at pornography, but there is a lot of porn usage that's been happening that doesn't, is not talked about in church that I think has information we can learn from. For example, uh, I didn't realize that when, when I started investigating this, I started asking myself questions like, how, how do I know how effective, affected I've been in, um, in, uh, in being in, with my race, with, with how race is depicted on media? Like, how deep has it affected me? With someone that doesn't, which, who was not dating a lot, who was not interacting with women a lot, like, how am I supposed to know? And then I just kind of like, I, I, I asked myself, well, what was my porn usage looking like? You know, did I ever stop to look up, you know, Asian man and so-and-so? And I, I never did. I never did. I never even saw myself in the scene because I haven't seen myself in any movie scenes, in any TV scenes. And once I have the opportunity to write something on Google, to, to put up any combination of people doing an assortment of all these sexual activities, you would, mention, you would probably think, oh, wow, this is the time for someone like me to dream and really, you know, visualize Asian men involved in something and, like, getting an idea. But, but that just did not happen at all. It was vacant from my mind, just as I felt, just as I worry if we are vacant from the country right now. Um, um, so you never, you never search for sexy Asian man takes creamy white housewife uh yes i haven't (laughs) and honestly if i had the choice to i wonder if i'd choose it like marvel came out with their asian hero all right marvel avenger how amazing and badass and my reaction is like, eh, well, I'm, I'm marveled out now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Marvel. Now that we're like so tired of your damn superheroes. Mar- Marvel Cinematic Universe Stage 4. All right, now we're in. I'm no, but you know what? Maybe, maybe this is a sign of hope for Asian guys. You know, because Shang-Chi outsold Black Widow. What? Oh, wow. Wow. Interesting. Really similar releases, similar everything. But uh, yeah, so it might be that on the social hierarchy, Asian men are moving up. Ooh. For, okay. So this is what I was thinking when just, just now, what, what you maybe think of was like, I mean, start a movement of romance novels where the lead is a sexy Asian guy and on the cover of that trashy book is is an Asian guy like ripping the bodice off the red-headed lass. When I think about, you know, a masculine Asian man on front of a romance novel, I have a hard time visualizing that guy. When I look at Asian men, they tend to be a bit androgynous to me. 
You know, we, we, we tend to have, and maybe this is a cultural depiction, and maybe this is also simply an anthropological observation. I realized if, if I was around more Asians, I would appreciate the diversity among them more, right? But because I grew up in Arkansas, I have to say, seeing large groups of Asians together, it's like, man, how am I gonna tell the difference between them? Good thing I'm not Asian, you know? That's my thoughts, and then wait, wait a minute, hold on a second, I am Asian, you know? I discovered being noticed, like overly noticed for, for my race in, in a strange way, being, strange way being overly celebrated. Um, I, for me, this comes at working at centrifuge youth camps. This was a beautiful thing. As soon as I stepped in, I clearly saw myself as one of the only guys there who wasn't white, right? But that was never a bad thing. That became a really important thing. So I was, I was kind of put on the forefront of some spaces just to like to show that, hey, here's a diversity that we're really mean. <laughs> and <laughs> look, we have brown and black friends. You know, at that age, we are looking for, we're looking for social groups. We're looking for, yeah. for families, Accept clusters, acceptance. friends. Yeah. Acceptance is huge. Yeah. Um, then I go to USC in Los Angeles, which is a, a huge, diverse school. Mm -hmm. And the largest student union there at the time, bigger than any sorority, bigger than any student group, was Phil Am, the Filipino American group. <laughs> so naturally, I think I'm a Filipino from Arkansas going to Los Angeles. Hey, I need community. My first reference for social structure that I wanted to to look at was was well it was two it was my faith and it was race mm -hmm. I wanted to choose one or the other I also knew that you know if I was going to test my faith like this is the great time to do it I'm away from Arkansas I'm, I'm in another state oh it's college time to go wild and crazy like I wanted to explore that narrative um, I was also afraid I was afraid of that narrative I didn't know how I'd handle it um, but the Phil Am group were, you know, they were, they were like a bunch of Filipinos. They're getting together, they're partying and so forth. Like, okay, the Filipinos in church where I grew up, they knew how to party too. So maybe I can check it out. So as a Filipino, you know, exploring Phil Am, I could not, I was warned to say, hey, you should join Phil Am, but just to let you know, we're kind of like a clique. So it's a little hard just to let you know. It's like, okay, all right. But I know I'm a, I'm a courageous guy, no problem, I'll, I'll give it a go. Um, so I joined the group, I went for like maybe three or four times, and it was, I felt so excluded. I like felt like such the outsider. I did not feel like I included, I was included at all. There I was, surrounded by all these Filipinos. They would ask me, hey, where are you from? I said, oh, I'm from Arkansas. Their response was, oh, there's Filipinos in Arkansas? <laughs> <laughs> and. And so after giving that a try for like uh, a month, I'm like, oh, forget this. I went back to the Christians. They mm -hmm. accepted me with open arms, not a question. And, and that's why my college experience stayed pretty conservative, I would say, uh, more than I thought it would, would be. Yeah, so you had the, the constant love however flawed it might have been of the church and the church community. Right. Because right. even yeah. even despite their flaws and biases and blind spots, at least they knew they were supposed to love you. <laughs> 
how much are we missing when we don't have a strong Asian male sexual archetype? You know, um, we have the black sexual archetype almost as a temptation to women. So a lot of men can feel, you know, threatened by that. Um, we, all, we also even have the, the white man archetype in that he's the, the successful one or the powerful one in the Americana um, uh, narrative, you know. Um, but, you know, so far every ad- leading Asian man I've seen, they're not even leading. We tend to be peripheral. We tend to be comic relief. I was watching the movie Gremlins not too long ago, and all of a sudden I was like, whoa, I'm, I'm now offended watching Gremlins because I noticed the only Asian guy is there is for comic relief. Um, this is Asian. This is Gremlins Two, the new batch. Um, <laughs> the old Asian guy there is awesome, though. I I hope he's still alive and he lives forever. <laughs> but um, but yeah. So but 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 this also links into purity culture as well because what we started talking about in our earlier seasons was the archetype of the beta male, where we may have neutralized the masculinity of Christ, hence, you know, by trying to keep men controlled in purity culture, we may have neutralized a, a part of their bravado that's essential to their being. Um, or, uh, and, and yeah, and I would say just as an Asian man, um, I feel the same in media. You know, I don't have a Christ with a strong libido. I don't have a movie star with a strong libido to follow. So I think white guys and black guys, if they don't have a Christ with a strong libido, at least they have other representations of the strong libido in media to follow. In what ways has that impacted you personally? As an Asian man, like I have found a certain ambivalence and a, a numbing response to what's been happening because you know, culture has not shown where I am as a sexual man. The archetype for Asian men in this country tends to be very subservient, tends to be very obedient, unless you're like Bruce Lee, using your, again, using your fists, using your violence, right? Not usually embodying a certain bravado. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, was, looking up, I was looking up some things online just to hear what other Asian uh, men were talking about. And I you know, there are some great articles written by some Asian women, you know, about being hypersexualized as a woman of color. Um, but the articles I found from Asian men were forum boards on Reddit or forum boards are so-and-so, right? We're kind of talking about peripherally. And one gentleman expressed it so precisely. He noticed that Asian men seem to do well in Bible Belt communities uh, because we're not noticed. Your experience is consistent with what I've observed, um, for sure. Like, I think if you take Asian male stereotypes, which the dominant culture gets to decide what those are, so white guys get to decide what Asian male stereotypes are and female stereotypes, and then, and what what we've done there. I think, like you said, I'll just use my words as like, we've sort of put you in a category of, as a culture, not individually, but as a culture, as sort of a neutral, um, you know, not a, not a threat sexually, not a threat to our women, not, um, 
Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. yeah. And yeah, you've been sort of neutralized is what I'm saying as- um, Exactly. As a man. Yeah, and, and you think about it. I mean, look, look, about the, look at the conversation, the sexual conversation across the zeitgeist. I mean, even, let's look at dick jokes. Everyone, let's take a look at dick jokes. When we look at dick jokes, who's the archetype with the big dicks? It's the black guys. Ooh. Who's the archetype with the small dicks? It's the Asian guys. Ooh. So what does that do psychologically to an Asian man in this country? On Yeah, I, yeah. And from a stereotypical mm-hmm. white guy's perspective, you know, you you would expect and probably be right a lot of the time that white guys are going to be intimidated when black guys enter the scene near their women. And this is to Monique Moultrie's point, Dr. Moultrie's point about white, white, the white supremacist ideas and the availability of people of of, of black bodies and being open for sex all the time. And that, and so there's a difference between like the black guy walks into the social situation who is identified as a threat, but then like the Asian guy comes in and you're like, Oh, I'm going to go ask them, you know, your, your, the, your assumptions fill in, right? The Asian guy walks in, you're like, Oh, let me introduce you to my wife. Oh yeah. She's really interested in math too, or something. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's how it works. Yeah. And, and I've had, I've had like the strange reverse experience. I was, I was in New York. I was, this was just after taking some of these tantra workshops. So I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm all primed up with confidence. And I was talking to one of the persons who was in the workshop with me. You know, we talked about having um, dinner later or something. And, and she, what she said was, it was just something that I just tossed out. But now in retrospect, it's like, I need to chew on this. Um, she was my age, very, you know, very attractive, very strong, confident. And she goes, wow, I've just never seen an Asian man attractive and sexy before. And I can hear that. I was like, oh, wow, thank you very much. But I was also like, wait a minute. Oh, my Hold gosh. On. Oh, my gosh. Hold on. And, and, and what does that do when, when that archetype is not present? Where does that fathering come from for the Asian man, especially the Christian Asian man, right? Um, because we don't even have the dark version of that bravado, right? We have, uh, mm. you know, we have, you know, uh, we have, we've seen, we've seen, um, uh, well, we've seen black men villainized. We've seen white men villainized, right? Mm-hmm. And we're kind of lost in the middle, <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know, so, so, so what, what happens there, right? I mean, is it a good or bad thing that we're not fully articulated yet? I think, I think this is one of those conversations hmm. we're learning about we're learning about asian men today people how interesting christians we neuter christ so you know he's a man who um temptate was tempted just like everybody else but if you say yeah and what do you think christ did with his erections Right, then you're gonna get like this. Oh my goodness, Christ never got an erection. He didn't have those feelings. And um, so we really we we neuter Christ, 
and then because we can't in in church we generally can't talk about sex unless it's you know don't do it or only do it only when you're married or in liberal churches we are we only talk about the justice issues around sex sex and sexuality as in as a justice issue um and in that case too christ gets neutered and men get neutered so i will say i completely understand the men's movements in the united states where uh you have like these guys getting together and trying to like get their power back or you know feel like real men and have these men's conferences back in the 90s you know there was promise keepers which was these christian rallies for just men and um um but i think i as as deeply flawed as most of the men's movements virtually all the men's movements are in this country um and toxic uh, and promoting a really toxic type of masculinity the reason they exist i think is because of this hyper neutralization of of any kind of masculinity in in church and so you you wash all the hormones and all the feelings and all the uh uh developmental psychology and um and sexual energy out of a faith community and then that's going to bubble up somewhere else and so it makes perfect sense to me that guys want to get together and be like oh we're real men and real men do this and real men do that and let's march with torches and have our masculinity on display I'm, it's misguided it most of all of that is misguided and and toxic but you know it's like one extreme to the other right it's, i i hear i understand what you're saying it's as a as a country if we're going to look at the country as a personality right it's going through a maturation and it's going through a maturation regarding masculinity and it currently doesn't have a good example in how it's been lived. Mm. You know what we've learned in other cultures, which we've not, what we don't have in our American culture right now, is men have a walkabout. They have this. There's like this rite of passage that that. When I refer when I refer to a walkabout, this this is what indigenous tribes do in Australia, um, out in the outback. You know, they send a man to to go out and and induce a, a boy coming of age to go out on his walkabout. And when he comes back, he's now a man because he's gone through these experiences, and he's been able to take principles he was taught and make them his own. Um, I would say, in my opinion, that the masculinity of this country. Uh, never had its walkabout and never had a chance to mm. go out and learn and and so now it's at a crisis with itself and 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 yes there is a mixture of these men getting together you know that's wanting to recreate this walkabout experience that they never got in their upbringing and that our our nation never really celebrated that in our culture mm. um, 
our nation has a very, if we look back to the, the, the 50s and, and the 40s, in media, the, the, outlets of new, the outlets of news was very limited. The outlets of radio stations were very limited. The outlets of movie studios, the TV channels, all that was very limited. And what that resulted to was a singular form of media parenting that the rest mm. of the nation could conform to, right? Now, we don't even have that central voice either. Um, so if, if the church has lost its patriarchal voice, if the media has lost its patriarchal voice, when, where will the nation get its walkabout, you know, that mm-hmm. vital lesson? And I think really we're in the middle of it, and it's, it's a responsible of, responsibility of each of us as men to now find a way to show up. Well, and I'll, to jump on, I think that's really a very interesting idea, like the walkabout. And I, I, you know, and in other cultures, I mean, virtually all cultures, except for the dominant American culture, you have this moment where, whether you're a boy or a girl, there you're ceremonially invited to the next stage of life. So... Um, you know, in Jewish culture, you have bar mitzvahs, bat mitzvahs, and then in Filipino culture, for the men, you know, boys are circumcised, right? You don't circumcise babies. It's like it's this invitation to like used to ha- you hang out with the mommies and the babies, and then you get circumcised, and then you can start hanging out with the guys, the men. Oh, and so. That's an, another interesting cultural thing. I'm assuming you were circumcised like a lot of white American guys as a baby. Yes. So, so, an, so culturally, you missed out on that ritual of becoming a man. So when we had our son in the Philippines and we did like the classic American thing, we had to like hire a surgeon to come to the hospital and circumcise our baby boy so his penis would look like my penis and the when like the doc the nurses brought him to us after his procedure they were like congratulations little judah you are a man now and yeah so that's so cool i yeah it's but it's that's it's an interesting thing like we we don't have a walkabout and we don't have we don't have rituals um, to mark a transition from being a boy to being a man. You're, you're right. I mean, I, I have not heard about that. I've never heard about that till just now. About, yeah. My, my, my parents never had a reason to slow down and tell me because, you know, they really wanted to assimilate in the early 70s. Um, so I just learned... Right. But, but now is the reason why. I mean, we're just talking about how some of us has missed this beat and you, yeah, I, yes, I missed that beat. Um, also, I would say as, as someone who works in television, I would say that media does present a version of the masculine walkabout. Unfortunately, there tends to be one kind which is the, the college crazy days where oh, you, yeah. you go there and party, party, party. You're like, right. Oh. You, you are That's, exactly right. The this is what we celebrate. Walk about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
Mm-hmm. Not that all frat boys are bad, but that the stereotype of going to college, jumping in, drinking, doing the hookup culture, mm-hmm. having your punch card for how many girls you can bone. Right. We missed and out was- on that. We were doing we were doing campus ministry, so we didn't that that you know, we were very like judgy about that. <laughs> Rush week was like the invitation to hell. We're gonna pray for him. <laughs> Give him water bottles with Bible verses on them. <laughs> I remember going to Panama City Beach to do missions during spring break. Oh, breach beach reach. Beach Reach! Yeah! It's called Beach Reach! <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We went, we did a, a trip to Lake Havasu. I remember getting all psyched up for Beach Reach, and it wasn't, it wasn't party, party, party. It was more like Lord of the Rings, prepare yourself before going into Mordor. And, um, <laughs> but of course, once we start talking and flirting, it changes again. But, um, yeah, yeah, that was great. Be treat all them, all the ministry, all the sexy ministry we did. How exciting! Um, but but for for men though, the you know what does the walkabout look like if it if it's not you yeah. know the college craze? Um, and and we're needing of that. If men, American men, are are needing of that, it's just another space where where is left vacant. All that to say, like men need. You know, we're stepping up now. We're a part of that. Addressing this is a part of it. Yeah. But all in all, I'd say that this is the biggest thing that I took away from the conversation with Dr. Monique Moultrie and the discussion of race and purity culture. Um, I discovered that as an Asian man, I blended so well because I was, I, was, I was not offensive as, as a man who's not sexualized in culture. And... Um, I was not a threat in any way. Um, and I was also embraced for who I was. I was never sexualized. No one in mm. church wanted to sexualize me or, or rape me. My Asian experience as a man is a very different one than, as a, than an Asian experience as a woman in purity culture. So like the things we've touched on is like, you know, what, what is a healthy masculinity what are the rituals for healthy masculinity for society? And then what you've been talking specifically about you is not having any sexual heroes, masculine heroes. What does it mean now as you approach middle age, like to be fully bloomed in your adult maleness? What does it mean to be a man? That is a beautiful question. That is a wonderful question that a lot of guys, I think, can ask themselves at any age, but definitely now on this side of 40. I love you, Nate. I love you too, man. I'm glad we're doing this. I hope you guys enjoyed this insightful conversation into race, masculinity, and purity culture, and also just getting to know Ryan and I. Because we're both essentially Filipino beta males. <laughs> Welcome to the beta male podcast. <laughs> Do would you like a gentle, gentler 
kinder, more loving man? <laughs> no, exactly. I, want a, I want a man who would take me. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, or on Facebook. If you would like to leave us a comment on the, vo- on the phone number on the webpage, give us your permission. We'd love to feature your voice, your comments, your question, your thoughts, or, or your, your little monologue with your alter ego character. We can do that too. We'd love to hear your alter ego character. You can email us at ryan at touchpodcast.com or nate at touchpodcast.com and support us on Patreon, touch underscore cast. Go there, find us, support us. If you give us a little bit of money, we'll send you a t-shirt. And we really love our listeners. Thank you so much. Um, go on to the app where you read you read this podcast and you listen to this podcast and rate us. Give us a high rating and then tell us your story in the little comments. We'd love to hear about it. Have a great week, everyone. And don't forget to share the episode. Take care.